Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, Lord, we do bless you. We love you. Lord, we look to you as we come to your word. Lord, we recognize we can receive nothing except by your spirit. Lord, open our eyes. Open our hearts. Help us to hear your word. Help us to be those who will do your word. Change us, Lord, more into your likeness. Lord, we look to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, we're doing a theme on preparation for revival. This is part five. And uh, what we're looking at this morning is perseverance in prayer. Perseverance in prayer. You know, as we pray and persevere in prayer, you know, God will do awesome things. And the great prayer warrior, George Mueller, he was the one God used him to feed, you know, without telling anybody the needs in any way. God used him to see the provision for over 2,000 orphans at one, at one time in, in England and, you know, all their needs being met and just some incredible answers to prayer in his life. And he said this, he said, it's not enough to begin to pray, but we must pray patiently, believingly, and believingly continue in prayer until we obtain an answer. Our prayers can bring healing. Our prayers can bring down the strongholds of the enemy. Our prayers can bring revival. And that's what we've been praying for and what we're going to be praying for on these Wednesday night prayer meetings. And our prayers, our prayers can change a nation. And George Mueller also said this. He said, a lack of perseverance, a lack of perseverance in prayer is one of the greatest causes of defeat, especially in prayer, especially in prayer. Now, in Genesis chapter 32, we read there about uh, Jacob, and Jacob, his name means, uh, he's a, he was a, his, his name means a deceiver, Jacob, deceiver, cheater, surplanter, swindler, and you know, Jacob, he deceived. He said that he was his brother Esau and he got the blessing. And, you know, deception was, was rife in his life. But he had a heart for God at the same time. And God worked on him. And he had many painful experiences he went through. But God worked on him and brought him to a place and God met with him and God mightily changed him. And... Jacob's experience of meeting God, he, he met God face to face, and he received a new name, and that completely changed, transformed his life. And the man in the story in Genesis 32, a man wrestled with Jacob, and that man, it was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is a, a pre-incarnation um, appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we read in, in Genesis 30, 30, 32, 
And in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And this, the occasion of this was when he was going to meet his brother Esau. Now, remember, he had fled from Esau. And now 20 years had gone by, and he was coming back to the promised land. And Esau was approaching with 400 men. Jacob, he had his wives and his children and all his cattle. And he was afraid of, 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 meet, of meeting his brother Esau. Because before he departed, Esau was out to kill him. Because by deception, he obtained his blessing. And then what he did, he came to the brook Jabbok. And all his wives and his children and his cattle, they crossed over. Jacob was left alone. And we read that there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And that man was the Lord Jesus, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, and it was in the humility of the Lord that he allowed, he allowed Jacob to wrestle with him. But he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And, and he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let you go. This is Jacob speaking. I will not let you go, except thou bless me. I will not let you go, except thou bless me. There was a determination. There was, an there was a grit. There was a desire with all his heart, with all his being. He was going to cling on to the Lord. He was going to hold on. He was going to continue. And this has gone on all night. I will not let you go, except you bless me. And there's a thought there of persevering, persisting, holding on in prayer until the answer comes. Let me go. I will not let thee go, Jacob said, except you bless me. And it was the Lord who humbled himself and permitted Jacob to touch him and wrestle with him. And that was the living God, the true and the living God. And we see the persistence of Jacob. He persisted, he persevered, he clipped clinging to the Lord. He would not let him go until the, the answer came, until the blessing came, until that desired result. We you know Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, ask and you shall receive. And the thought there in the Greek is ask and keep on asking and you will receive. And then Jesus said, also in Matthew 7, 7, seek and you will find. And again, the, the, in the Greek word there, it's seek and continue seeking and continue seeking. Keep on seeking. And then knock and you, the door will be opened unto you. And again, the thought in the Greek, knock and, and keep on knocking. Keep on knocking. Keep on knocking. Persevering. Keep on. And Jacob was so tired of his sinful nature, he would not let go. He would not let God go until God changed him. And as we continually cry out to God, you know, we shall see him move on our behalf. And there are some things in the will of God, some things in the will of God. Sometimes we pray 
you know, almost before we, before we have prayed, the answer comes. I mean, God just straight up, many times I've experienced that. But there's other times we have to pray and pray and continue to pray. And often that's the case in revival. You know, it's, it's, there's continued persevering prayer is required. Obviously, we've got to pray and continue to pray, you know, in, in the will of God. Um, but as Jacob continue, as, as, and as we continually cry out to God, you know, we will, we will see him move on our behalf. And in verse 27, it says there, the man who is God asked Jacob, what is your name? I mean, of course God knew his name. God knows everything. But Jacob had to say it. Jacob had to realize it. Jacob had to acknowledge, acknowledge. He was a deceiver, cheater, supplanter, swindler. That's what Jacob means. And that was all God needed, just a revelation and a confession of what he had been. And with this encounter with God at the brook Jabbok, his name was changed. And his name was changed to Israel, which means a prince of God, one who has power with God and one who has power with man. And as we continue, you know, to cry out to God, you know, God, God will come. God will move on our behalf. And after this experience, Jacob, you know, Jacob became lame. And it was because God has touched his thigh. He had been very strong-willed. He'd been very independent. But he was, he'd met God. He'd met God. And God changed him. And he became totally dependent upon the Lord. He walked with a limp. as a thought of being totally dependent upon the Lord. In Isaiah 62, in verse 6, we see there that Isaiah speaks about the watchman. And the watchman, they would protect the city. They would look after the city. They would guard it, amongst other things, other responsibilities. And the prophet likens these watchmen to, to those who will pray, those who are prayer warriors. And in Isaiah 62 and in verse 6, it says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Keep not silence. And it speaks there of watchmen, of prayer and intercession. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch. Be like watchmen. Watch under prayer. Watch under prayer. And it says those watchmen will never hold their peace. They will, in other words, they will never keep silent day or night. And that verse is speaking of tremendous pressing in, persevering, persisting in prayer. And the last part of that verse, you make mention of the Lord. You that make mention of the Lord. 
And this speaks of prayer intercession continually, crying out to God, Lord, Lord, you come. Lord, you've spoken. Lord, you've promised. We thank God for the promises. But, you know, having a prophecy or having promises is not enough of itself. And I believe God wants us to rise up. And as we gather on Wednesday nights, I believe God wants us to, to rise up collectively in prayer and in, in intercession until those promises are fulfilled. In other words, and to pray into being, you know, what God has spoken. And that word for mention in verse 6, it says, make mention. It's a Hebrew word, make mention of the Lord. A Hebrew word, zakah, and it means to remember, to bring to mind, to think on, to dwell on, to meditate upon. And then the next verse, verse 7, it says, give the Lord no rest till he establish and till he make Jerusalem a praise on the earth. Give God no rest until he brings to pass those things he has promised. And in all things we know to be God's will, you know, we must continually cry out to him and in that sense give him no rest until what he brings to pass what he has promised. And the story of Elijah. I mean, he sent, there'd been no rain, three and a half years. And he sends his servant to the top of the Mount Carmel to look out over this Mediterranean Sea. And he goes back once, twice, three times. And it was Suzanne mentioned in a devotions we had during the week. She said this. She said, what if Elijah had only gone five times or what if only he'd gone six times and he stopped if he gave up and that six i mean the what if the servant of elijah had only gone six times every time he went to the top of the mountain and he looked out and there was absolutely no sign of rain whatsoever not even a tiny cloud nothing if he'd stopped six times you know, there would have been interceding and prayer and going up one, two, three, four, five, six times he would have gone. But there would have been no answer. There would have been no rain. There'd be no revival. There'd be no miracle. But he persevered. He was not going to give up. He persisted. Give him no rest. Give him no rest. And he saw the breakthrough. He saw the rain. And I believe we're going to see. I don't know, I don't know when. But if we continue, we must continue to pray, to persevere in prayer. Isaiah 64 and verse 1, we see the cry, the burden of the, the heart of Isaiah. And he says, Oh, that thou would rend the heavens. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens. That the heavens would open up and the rain would come and the move of the Spirit would come in our midst. The burden of his heart as he travails in intercessory prayer for God's intervention on behalf of his people. And he cries to God to show forth his mighty power. Oh God, send revival. Tear open the heavens. And in verse 7, 
and there is none. How sad this is. How sad. There is not, no body that calls upon your name, that stirs up himself to take hold of thee. That phrase, that stirs up himself to take hold of thee. Now, there's some things God does, but there's some things we have a part that we must do. And it says here, the man that stirs up himself, he needs to stir himself up. We need to stir ourselves up. We need to stir ourselves up, to stir ourselves up. In other words, to press into God, to put aside other things, to be serious with God and have a determination in our hearts. We are going to pray. We're going to intercede. We're going to cry out for revival. There's none, and sadly, in Isaiah's time, there were none that calls upon thy name, that stirs up himself to take hold of thee. You know, it was God looks at us. God looks at each one of us. You know, are we serious with the Lord? Are we fully committed to the Lord? Are we willing to stir ourselves up to pray? You know, sometimes we're willing to stir ourselves up to do this and do that and do many other things. But here it speaks about stirring ourselves up to pray, to seek his face, to continue in prayer. The Lord has graciously given us promises of revival. But our part is to stir ourselves up, to pray, to take hold of God. But even, and he, but even that, even stirring of ourselves up, I mean, really, everything's from God. We can only do that by the grace of God. But may we be those who, who stir ourselves, who take hold of the Lord and that his burden of prayer and intercession comes upon us. Now, God has called us to different things. There's many different ministries, you know, some in administration work, some in, in, in music department, and, and, and some in teaching, and some in exhorting, and, and so many different areas we can be involved in serving God. But... In one sense, God has called everyone. I mean, some, some people have a specialized ministry in prayer, and they, they can be known as intercessors, and, and uh, that's their particular gifting. But every one of us, every one of us is called to pray. That's not something we'll say, well, that's not my gift, because each one of us, if we're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of us are called to pray and to seek God and to cry out to him. And it says, may we be those who stir ourselves, who take hold of the Lord, and that his burden of prayer and intercession, you know, comes upon us. Going over to the New Testament, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 18. And there in Luke 18, there's a well-known parable, and it's the parable of the unjust judge. And in verse 1, it says there, and he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not to faint. Not to cave in. Not to be 
faint-hearted. And Jesus knew. He he knew that men would grow faint-hearted in praying. So he gives us a story and he gives us this parable. And basically the the, the crux of the parable, the, 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 the central theme of the parable is to persist in prayer, persevere in prayer. And persevering prayer, it moves the hand of God and it enables the Lord to vindicate his people of their enemies. Now, often judges in the time of the New Testament, they were part of a corrupt system, and sometimes they would only take a case if they were paid money, paid a bribe. And, but th- this parable brings out, we, we, we must keep praying until the answer comes. Now, the judge in this parable, he was a terrible man. His heart was hardened, and he did not, not only did he, he not fear God, but he had no respect for man. He did not fear man as well. He did not care about people's needs. He did not care that they were poor. And because of the position he had, he had power to help people, and he had power to put things right. But this widow woman in this, in this parable, you know, he couldn't care about her. He refused to help those who had been, had been cheated, those who had been wronged, those who had been deceived. And this widow woman came to the judge and requested that the judge vindicate her of, of her enemy. And now, in the time of Jesus, women did not have the same legal resources as men, recourses as men. And it, it is clear from the story this widow, she was in the right. And she came to the judge requesting justice, expecting justice. But he did not care. He would do nothing to help her. And the judge, he had a proud, arrogant attitude. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about, about men. And the woman was desperate, and she continued to come. She was persistent. She would not give up. And the unjust judge He was not moved by her case. It was only because he did not want her continually bothering him and constantly pleading her case before him. Basically, he gave her justice just to to get rid of her, just to get rid of her. And we read in verse 5, Yet because this widow troubled me, I will avenge her. I will vindicate her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And in verse 7, And shall not God avenge or vindicate his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he be along with him, with, with them? And in this verse, Jesus is saying that if this unjudged unjust judge could be affected by the perseverance of the poor woman. And this woman, she went back, she went back, she went back. She persisted, persistent, persistent. He didn't care if she was poor. He didn't care about her. He didn't care about God. But because of her persistence, because of her importunity, he, he gave her what he wanted. And he... he he gave her, he worked things out so that she would receive justice. And it was a, this, the woman's case was a hopeless case. 
But because she persevered, because her importunity brought hope from deep despair, and it brought success. And she won her case solely by her tireless and continuing request, her continuing requests. And as we said in that verse in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, ask, keep on asking, and you will receive. I remember there's one lady in New Zealand, and and she at the end of each service, she would come to Marilyn and myself, and she had this bowel problem, and she was very sick, and she couldn't eat properly, and she would come, and she'd want us to anoint her with oil. And we anointed her with oil, and then the next Sunday, she'd do the same, and she'd do the same, and she'd come, and we anointed her with oil. And this seemed to go on for several months, but she still came, and so... We, we, we continued to pray. Nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And then one Sunday, she suddenly ra she rang up. We prayed the previous Sunday. And during the week, she rang up and God had come. And she was completely healed, completely healed. And she had no more this bowel problems. She was able to eat normally. And, and God just, God touched her. But she, she persisted. She came, she came, she came. We were almost sort of, you know, well, we have to pray for her again. But anyway, we did, and, and God wonderfully came through. And I'd just like to close this morning with just a little bit about the revival in the Hebride Islands and the thought there of persevering prayer. And this the Hebride Islands, they're, on the, they're off the north, northwest coast of Scotland, and... There was revival there from about 1949 to 1953. And it was birthed in prayer. And Duncan Campbell, he was the main man of God used in this revival. He was raised in Scotland, and he served congregations as an, as an evangelist of the United Free Church, or the Presbyterian Church. And the spiritual state of the free churches on the island of Lewis it was very low at the time. And there were two sisters. There were two sisters. One was 82 years of age, and her sister was 84 years of age, and she was blind. And they had a great heart concern for God to do something in their parish. And so they gave themselves to waiting on God in their little cottage. Now, one night, God gave one of the sisters a vision. And she saw the churches crowded with young people. And she told her sister, I believe revival is coming to the parish. And at the time there was not a, there was, at, the, at that time there was not even one young person attending public worship. And she took so but anyway, she had this vision from God. She told a minister, he took he took the vision to heart, and he said to said to the sisters, What should we what do you think we should do? She said, give yourself to prayer. Get the elders and deacons together and spend at least two nights a week waiting on God in prayer. You do that and my sister and I will wait on God for revival from 10 p.m. until about 2 o'clock in the morning. So the, the minister called his leaders together and they waited on God in a barn among the straw and they pleaded Isaiah 44 verse 3. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. 
I'll pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offspring. And then one, one night at the prayer meeting, a young deacon, he arose and he read out Psalm 24, 23 and 4, verse 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his, in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And then he lifted up his hands and he prayed, O oh God, are my, heart, is my, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And then he fell on his knees and he fell into a trance. And something happened in the barn at that moment. And there was a power loosed that shook the heavens and an awareness of God gripped those that were gathered there. Now, Duncan Campbell had been invited to come to the Hebrides Islands and preach. And so they had arranged for him to speak at the church for a short meeting beginning at 9 p.m. God moved sovereignly, and there was an awareness of God which was wonderful. And the meeting lasted till 4 a.m. Around midnight, a group of young people left a dance hall and crowded into the church. They were drawn by the Holy Spirit. There were people in their houses who could not sleep because they were so gripped by the power of God. A real breakthrough came a few days later on Sunday in the parish church. The church was full. The Spirit of God was moving in such a way that, that, that Duncan Campbell, he could not preach. Men and women were crying out to God for mercy. And so he dismissed the meeting after three hours. But the people would not go home. And at least 600 people who had gathered in the yard outside the church, they streamed back into the church, which could not hold everyone. A young school teacher came to the front crying, Oh God, is there, is there nothing left for me? And she later went as a missionary to Nigeria. There was a busload of people coming to the meetings from 60 miles away. The power of God came into the bus, and some could not enter into the church when the bus arrived. People were falling under the power of God all over the church, and everyone was, and everyone was getting gloriously saved. When Duncan Campbell left the church at 4 o'clock, there was a great number of people praying alongside the road. Several of those who were saved that night later became missionaries in foreign lands. The move of God spread to the neighboring district, districts. Duncan Campbell received a, a message that a nearby church was crowded at 1 a.m. and wanted him to come. When he arrived, the church was full. There were crowds outside. When he came, to the, came out of the church two hours later, he found a group of 300 people who were unable to get into the church and were praying in the nearby fields. The 84-year-old blind sister told Duncan Campbell to go to a certain village on a nearby island and God would provide the congregation. He agreed to go, and when he arrived at 7 p.m., there were 400 people waiting for him at the church. No flyers, no announcements, nothing, drawn by the Holy Spirit. The people could not tell what had brought them there. They'd been directed by the Spirit of God. He preached on repentance, and at the end of the meeting, the most notorious characters in the community were on their faces, crying out to God. In another village, people were praying in a house. The power of God came down and the whole house literally shook like a leaf. Just like we read about in the, in the prayer meeting in Acts 4 and verse 29. 
This was at two o'clock in the morning. Then Duncan Campbell went out to find the whole village ablaze with God. He went into one house and found nine women in the kitchen crying out to God. The drinking houses in that village closed that night and was the drinking house in the village closed that night and was never reopened. Revival came to those islands. Hotels, theaters closed, and thousands upon thousands turned to Christ. How did that revival begin? How was the revival birthed? It was birthed by prevailing prayer, persevering prayer, persevering prayer. And so let's come together on Wednesday and let's look to the Lord. Let's be praying. You know, God can do things here. It might seem impossible. You know, the nation has just seemed to have gone, you know, accelerated into darkness, into evil and sin. But God can work. Nothing is too hard for God. And often, in places where there has been revival, often there's been, often there's been much darkness, much evil, and much, much sin. You know, then the darker the night, the brighter the lights will shine. And as we pray for revival, revival here, revival at Mount Zion Church, revival on the hill, the glory of God to come, the presence of God to be manifest, healing streams to flow, the harvest to be gathered in, people to come from far and wide. You know, I believe, I believe God will do it. God will do it. God will do it. Father, Lord, we, we bless you. Lord, we thank you. Truly, nothing is too hard for you. And oh God, Lord Jesus, Lord, as we've spoken this morning of prayer and persistence in prayer, oh God, Lord, we pray, Lord, you would stir us. You would stir us. You would stir us. Lord, we pray, we'll not just say, well, that's another message, that's a, maybe a good message, and do nothing. But, oh God, Lord, we pray that you will stir us and that we will stir ourselves, we will stir ourselves to pray and to seek you individually, collectively. Lord, that you would come on the scene. Lord, you've done it in the past. You've done it in America in the past. You've done it in New York State in the past. And Lord Jesus, Lord, you can do it again. But, Lord, you want your people to stir themselves to pray and help us, Lord. Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the word. We would be doers. We would stir ourselves, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we see, regardless of what we even think. And, and maybe we think that it's, not never going to happen. But, oh God, you can place your faith in our hearts that we would pray with expectancy. We would pray with faith. We would pray. We would persevere. We would continue. We would not give up. We would stir ourselves to take a hold of you. 
Lord, just seal us. Father, seal it. Seal it in our hearts.